What's good, guys? It's your host, Adrian Evans. Welcome to the Black Wealth Media Podcast, where we dive into the stories of black entrepreneurs and we talk about how we can create wealth and build legacy within the black community. Let's get into this episode. Hey, Ty. Hey, brother. How are you? I'm doing good. How you doing, man? I'm good. Sorry for all the last minute questions. And No, you're good. You're okay, good. good. Thank you, brother. All right, man. You ready to get started? Yeah, man. I work for you. Let's go. All right. My name is Adrian Evans, guys. Welcome to another edition of the Black World Media Podcast. I have a special guest. His name is Ty Allen Jackson. He's a self-published author. And, and guys, I want you to, I'm going to go ahead and give him the floor and introduce yourself, man. Just tell the people about you. Okay. Uh, my name is uh, Ty Allen Jackson, as you mentioned. Uh, I am a children's book author, a motivational speaker, three-time TEDx presenter, a recent recipient of an honorary doctorate for my work in uh, promoting literacy and empowering kids about the power and the importance of reading, uh, father of three amazing adult children, uh, Yankee fan, mama boy, like I don't know what <laughs> else you want, but like, you know, it's, uh, um, and, and, and self-proclaimed happiest man on the planet. Like I love what I do so much. Yeah, man, I, I see your reels, man. You always got so much energy, and I love it. Uh, yeah, man, listen, I mean, we should all be enthusiastic about the things that we do, um, and especially when we love them. You know, I'm something of a, uh, of, a of an extrovert on crack, you know, like, so, like, uh, <laughs> like I, I, I love just projecting good energy. And if you're writing children's books, I mean, you know, it's important to have good energy because, you know, I, I, I want kids to feel that. I want them to feel that through my work. I want them to feel that through my presence, you know, because I want them to be able to have that same type of energy in, in whatever it is that they do. Definitely, man. You definitely bring that vibe. And um, that's definitely what, like, I was like, man, as soon as I saw your account, I was like, man, I got to follow this guy. <laughs> and I was like, man, I got to get him on the podcast because I love his energy. So I think that's pretty dope, man. Um, so my first question to you, man, is um, how did you get started with, uh, you know, uh, public speaking? Um, well, it all kind of started as an author. Uh, when I became an author um, uh, and independent, as you mentioned before, you know, I had this book. Uh, it was geared towards uh, like uh, elementary school kids, maybe third to fifth, third to fifth grade. And so I would go out and I would start, you know, speaking to kids about my book and, you know, just like any author would do. And I discovered something really quick is that, you know, kids didn't really enjoy reading. It wasn't, you know, if you ask them the top five, six things that they like to do, most of them would say, you know, uh, video games and music and YouTube, but very few, you know, had reading in the mix. And I said, you know, being an author, like, you know, it's kind of, you know, a moot point if you're trying to promote a book to kids who can't read or not can't read, but, you know, don't enjoy reading. Yeah. So I, I shifted the narrative of talking about books and then talking about reading and why it's important, but doing it humorously and doing it, you know, in, with, with, with fun and enthusiasm and energy. Uh, I like to tout that if Tony Robbins, Dr. Seuss and Kevin Hart had a love child, it would be me. So, uh, so like, uh, that, that, that's, that's what kind of got me into the public speaking realm to kids, but then digging deeper, you know, I discovered that illiteracy, uh, the ability to read and write, um, it Hello? Hello? Mm-hmm. 
Hey, Tuck, can you hear me? Hello? Hey. Okay, I took my Bluetooth. All right. I made it. That had something to do with it. <laughs> I don't good. know what's going on. I don't know if that's me or you, bro, but I apologize. No, it's all good. It's all good. It happens, man. All right. Um, I think we I think we were talking about how you got into public speaking. Yeah, and uh and I was killing it too. I had a great, a great reply. <laughs> so Yeah, yeah, man, we were the flow was nice. The flow was real nice. Um tell you, I'm gonna just okay, let's do this. I'll start off with another question. Um, okay, so uh, but you know, you do you, man. Whatever, whatever works. I gotta say also that the volume is very low. Like it's it's kind of hard to hear you. Okay, um, I turn my volume up as much as I can. I I still struggle to hear you a little bit. Okay, give me one second. Yeah. Okay, how do I sound now? Better, definitely okay. better. Okay, cool. All right, man. So, um, yeah, man, that's that's pretty interesting. Um, how, like, writing a book was able to kind of propel you into public speaking. Um, would you like? Is that something you would recommend to a lot of people? Like, you know, for someone that wants to get into public speaking, would you recommend writing a book first and then getting getting into that? Um, you know, I think it depends. Uh, I, I'm obviously a fan of it. I, I think writing a book gives you a lot of a level of credibility. There's kind of the you want to say perception, so to speak, yes. that, you know, you're an expert if you're in your field, if you have a book. Um, that's not necessarily true, but I think it does. It, I think it does help having the credibility of, of writing a book. Uh, especially if the book is successful and it's a, it's a good book, then I do think that it's a great, um, you know, a great key or catalyst to get you speaking engagement. But, but then again, sometimes if you're, if you're a really prominent speaker and you've moved people by your work, then, you know, um, then, then I think that you, it's not completely necessary, but I don't think it's a coincidence that most prominent speakers, well, whether it's Les Brown or Tony Robbins or, or uh, Gary Vaynerchuk, I mean, these are all people who are synonymous with both speaking and authorship. So I do think that they kind of go hand in hand. Gotcha. And now, now for the people that don't know, man, like what kind of books did you write and like, what kind of books do you write? So I write children's books. Um, my books are, I have two picture books that I would say go from, you know, ages zero to five. And then I've got, uh, four chapter books that I would say go from zero, I'm sorry, from six to 10, maybe six to 12, depending on how aggressive a reader they are. Uh, but they're all children's books. Uh, when kids ask me whatever I write, will I ever write adult books? I tell them no, because I don't like adults, um, <laughs> but uh, which, which, is, which is not true. But um, <laughs> yeah, I think there's, I, I, I discovered reading at a very young age. And um, I think it's kind of molded me into becoming the reader and now writer that I am today. And I think there's something powerful about when kids find books or discover the power of books at an early age. I think it carries them very well in life. Like I like to tout, it's, it's, it's very difficult to be a leader in life unless you're a reader in life. And so being an, a reader early, I do think uh, helps very much. But, but all my, so all my books are in the kind of elementary school range. Yeah. Okay. Now, what was it that propelled you into writing books? Like what, what was that first moment that just automatically piqued your interest? Was it the fact that you had grew up reading or was there like a certain person that, you know, made you interested in doing so? 
Yeah, no, it actually was very uh, circumstantial. Um, I, I had no uh, no ideas or dreams of writing children's books as a kid or even as a, a young adult. And it wasn't until uh, age 40 uh, that my son asked me a question that changed my that would change my life. And wow. um, he asked if he could open up a lemonade stand and he made $50 in three hours selling lemonade. And like he said, Dad, what am I going to do with all this money? And I'm like, I don't know. I wasn't prepared for him to make 50 bucks. I figured, you know, you make five, six bucks, go get some ice cream and let's call it a day. But he made $50. And so he said, what am I going to do? And I, so I went to my local bookstore to try to find a book to teach my son about finance and entrepreneurship. And when I went there, I noticed two things. One, there were almost no books teaching kids about money, which don't, doesn't make any sense. And then I also noticed that there were very few books featuring young, black, positive, contemporary protagonists. And I thought to myself, you know, well, maybe I could write a children's book about a young black kid who wants to, you know, become a millionaire and, and can teach other kids about financial literacy along the way. And then the name Danny Dollar just popped into my head. I went home and started writing. It took me a year to write the story. And then I took my manuscript and I submitted it to 147 agents. I was rejected 147 times, wow. which prompted me to, to learn how to self-publish. It took me another year to learn how to self-publish a book, but about two and a half years after my son said, hey dad, can we open up a lemonade stand? My first book, Danny Dollar, was born. And up to this point, I've sold about 85,000 copies of Danny Dollar. It's become a serial story in 20 newspapers around the country. It's become a theatrical play with 40 performances here where I live in Western Massachusetts. And it's currently the foundation of a program called Danny Dollar Academy, which is now being run by the Federal Reserve and I just happened to be in discussions with a Disney director to get it adapted into a series or, or movie. So there you go. Wow, that's, that's phenomenal. Um, you said you got 147 rejections? That is correct. H how did that feel when you were getting rejected that many times? Like, did you ever feel like you were inadequate? No, uh, at the time I was in corporate sales and you're, you're used to hearing no in the sales world. So, you know, I have very thick skin. I'm also from the Bronx, so I'm kind of a hustler. So yeah. like combine the hustling from the Bronx and the, the, the wherewithal that you have to have when you're a salesperson. To me in sales, every no just brings you closer to a yes. Mm. And knowing that I'm preaching financial literacy about, especially about, you know, with the protagonist being a young black kid, there's no downside to that. So I knew I was onto something special. People just couldn't see it. And that's okay. Cause I didn't need those people who I don't know, by the way, I didn't, I didn't worry about putting my, my success into the hands of 147 strangers. I didn't know them. So they didn't believe in my dream and they didn't have to, that's my job. So I took my, my talents and put them to work of being a hustler and a marketer and a networker, I created my book and I just started hustling. And you know, 85,000 copies later, I like to think those 147 people will look at the New York Times one day and go, isn't that that guy that I told no about a book <laughs> and like, you know. Yeah, and, yeah, that, that's so solid, man. Um, so does, does, it ever, does it ever hit you that, you know, something you created is now a play and <laughs> You know, you're you're in talks with Disney. Like, how does that feel? 
Well, it's actually a Disney director. I want to make sure I got that right. It's uh, her name is Lynn okay. Sutherland, and she directed Mulan too. In fact, she's the only black female director of a of a major Disney film. Wow. Uh, so she so she's she she freelance or she contracted by Disney, but she doesn't technically work for Disney. She works. Gotcha. For okay. Okay. Uh, with that being said, um, you know what? I think when when you open up a deli, you expect it to become Subway. When you open up a pizza shop, you expect it to be Domino's. You know, when you when you start a business, you expect it to be big. And I'm no different. When I when I got the idea for Danny Dollar, I actually foreseen everything that's happening now. You know, I, I I've always dreamed a big dream um, and worked hard to make that dream come true. Uh, the thing is, I've always done it for other people. You know, now I'm doing it for myself. So. So the, so the answer is maybe not specifically seeing it turn into a play, but I definitely dream that this, this, this character would impact many people. Maybe not as sure of the vessel that it would do it, whether it be movies or TV or action figures or, or whatever, but I knew it was a big deal. And, um, and I feel like, you know, it's, we've, I've only scratched the surface on, on the impact that this character is going to have. Yeah, that's, that's fire, man. Um, so as far as like financial literacy, um, what kind of things do you see, you know, in, in the black community or just in general that people just don't pick up on when it comes to financial literacy? And what kind of, you know, what kind of gems could you give the audience, you know, as far as, you know, being financially literate? literate? Well, you know, financial literacy is, is a lifestyle. It's, it's, it's something that, you know, Boy, man, I feel like I could get on this soapbox and talk about it all day. Uh, I grew up in the hood, you know, like yeah. I grew up in the projects in the Bronx and there, there was no financial literacy to talk about. We, we, we didn't have to worry about talking about money at the table because there was no money and there was barely a table. So it was like, you know, we really didn't have much to talk about. And in many urban communities, uh, unfortunately, that's the case. And when you're not introduced to something, it's, it's hard to grow up with a, with a mindset of it. You know, I can go into my in my on top of my soapbox and express why, you know, financial literacy eludes us, why it's not taught in public schools. Um, I think it, I think we all kind of know that it's a society is better served when it's ignorant and it's easier yeah. to manipulate. So the less we teach children or people in general about money and how to how to make it work for you, the, the, the dumber people are, for lack of a better word, and the more that people are easy to manipulate. Um, so, so shift, so shifting into a money mindset isn't easy, especially for a culture or a demographic that isn't accustomed to having it taught to them. So, um, I, I think though, if you ask kids, and I ask kids, do you want to be, you know, successful and rich when you grow up? Of course, every single one says yes. So then I ask them the magic question: How? And 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 most of them will answer in a very, you know, I want to be a basketball player. Or a hip hop star or so and so. Yeah. And while I never try to talk a child out of their dream, you know, I, I always talk to them about, you know, you probably want to be rich like LeBron James, right? And she's like, sure. Well, how much money do you think LeBron James' agent makes or attorney or manager or like you and you actually have a better chance of becoming that? How much do you think his principal trainer makes? How much do you think his accountant makes? How much do you think his doctor makes? Like, you know, and, and building a narrative around you know, the person that they idolize. You know, my daughter wanted to be a WNBA player when she grew up, but she was blessed with her father's height. So that's not gonna happen because I'm only <laughs> five foot five. 
but she what's up guys i hope you're enjoying the show if you are i want you to take a screenshot of yourself listening and i want you to tag at underscore the black both media pod that'll be a big help as far as getting the message out also i want you to go ahead and leave a five-star review and go ahead and subscribe and let's get back to the show decided instead that she would become a um uh, a trainer and um and a physical therapist she was like if i can't be a ball player, I can heal ball players. And so mm. I want to change that narrative for kids to be able for them to see that like, I'm never going to talk to you out of wanting to be the next LeBron James, but maybe inside of you is the, the, the ability to be Maverick Carter instead, you know, and, mm. um, and, and, and when you give kids an opportunity to see the world outside of what they're accustomed to, it, it, it changes them. And it also gives them kind of that money millionaire mindset of going, maybe there's another way. Maybe I can use the assets that I have within me, whatever they are. Like I said, I'm a hustler. So, you know, I'm never gonna have a great jump shot. I'm never gonna hit a fastball. I'm never gonna be able to score a touchdown, you know, on, on a major level, but but I can. that can't stop me from hustling. And so like shifting that money mindset and hustling mindset can really change the narrative on how kids see the world. Yeah, I, I think I definitely agree. And um, everything you said was very important because, I mean, that like that's like part of the reason I created this platform so that young black kids could see that you can be more than a ball player or a rapper. You can be an author. You can be uh, the CEO of an insurance company. You can be, you know, um, you can learn any type of different skill. You can you know, you can be a, 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 a CBD grower, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, so I think, I think that's absolutely. very important, man. I, I think, uh, especially, you know, I have a son and I think it's very important for him to see that, you know, you don't have to be a rapper. Like I just said, you don't have to be a rapper or a ball player. You can be a farmer, you know what I'm saying? You can be yep. so many other things. And I think it's definitely important what you said that instead of focusing on being like LeBron James, why not try to be like the people that are around him? I think that's very important. So, yeah, man, definitely agree with you on that. Um, Especially because LeBron James is a once-in-a-lifetime type of player. Matter definitely fact, agree. I think there's only 300-something NBA players. I mean, if you added up all the athletes, all the professional athletes, there's probably, you know, less than 1,500 of them. In, yeah. a, in a country where there's, you know, 375 million people, they're, they're less than the 1%. So... Not that I want to talk kids out of it, but their chances of becoming a successful professional millionaire athlete are really, really small. Definitely. But the chances of them becoming an architect are fantastic. Like it's, you know, like it's 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 a hundred percent if they if they put their heart and soul into it. The key is is that we as parents have to be wise enough to introduce our children to architecture, because our children might have the greatest gift to be an architect or an engineer mm -hmm. or a physician or whatever. But if we never introduce them to medicine and we never introduce them to engineering or architecture, then they then they go not knowing that that gift is inside of them. Like me, like I didn't know I had the gift of writing children's books. I had no idea. And it wasn't until I was 40 until I got that idea. And then once I knew that I loved it so much, like creating stories and um, for children, it was everything for me. And, and you know, but maybe what would have happened if I had that instilled in me at an earlier age? 
So I think it's very important for us to expose our children like you're doing as much as possible. Yeah, definitely. Um, now, I, I want to just to shift the conversation a little bit. I want to talk more about your books. Um, you know, when it comes to writing your books, like how did you get your ideas? Um, well, the, the, the book Danny Dollar, you know, obviously came from, you know, the question from my son and just having financial literacy not being taught you know, in schools and in, in homes predominantly. Uh, it, it made it easy. Um, characters, you know, like all of us have grown up with characters our whole lives, whether they're aunts or uncles or friends, and you kind of carry those people with you and take little pieces of them. And, and so that's kind of what I do with my characters. But, you know, my other books are about superheroes and superheroes were my, you know, were my um, gateway into the world of literature. And so, so writing a, a children's book about superheroes was easy because I grew up, you know, idolizing superheroes. In fact, I still do. And um, so, you know, some of them are, are, you know, kind of instilled in me. Like I also had like a, uh, um, a newspaper route and, and like little odd jobs when I was a kid. So, so doing the Danny Dollar book was easy. Loving superheroes is something I did my whole life. So that was easy. I think, you know, just the, 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 the idea has to come to you. Um, but I think what a lot of people ask me, because I've sold over 100,000 books independently, and people always ask, you know, how are you able to do that? And I, I want to be really careful in what I'm about to say, because I think it's important for books to have a kind of niche um, subject. I mean, if you want to talk about divorce or, or um, genders or um, over or, or, or or slavery, or whatever it is that you want to talk about, yeah, that's fine. Like these are important books about Harriet Tubman and Underground Railroads and Martin Luther King. These things are important. The problem is, especially for Black people, is that it's very often the only narrative you see. It's only the only narrative of suppression and overcoming obstacles, and you know, my black skin and my black hair and my. And while those things are important, what you're also doing is that you're isolating the rest of the world because a little Asian girl is not gonna read a book about her black skin because she doesn't have it. A right. little white kid isn't gonna read about her hair being coarse because she doesn't have it. So I think the best way to write children's books in a way that empowers children and makes them look at the world in a much more diverse way is to simply write books featuring characters of color, but in just ordinary stories that every single child can relate to, like mm. money. There isn't a child on the planet that that can't associate money. And, you know, um, so Very true. So it's easier. It's easier for any child, anywhere, any gender, any race to see a book about money, read it and appreciate it, and then maybe even idolize the character that's doing it. And so, like, that's a better way to break the stigma of how people view us by doing it in a way that makes them appear not different because of their skin color, not different because of their upbringing, but the same because of the stories that they tell and the way that they tell them. So um, I think it's important. Again, I don't dismiss anybody writing books about whatever topic matters to them. I think you have to write what's on your heart, but I think there's also a way to do it in a way that brings everybody in and doesn't put you in a box. That's, that's very powerful, man. Um, now, I, you know, I, I wanted, I wanted to know, man, like take us back, you know, what was it like for you growing up in New York? Well, I was born in 1967 and, uh, to a single mom, uh, who was 15 when she had me. 
My father was incarcerated for most of my life. Uh, we were in, on welfare for a good chunk of the time, living with my grandparents, um, growing up in the Bronx and the projects. But I got to say, I, I probably had one of the best childhoods I could imagine. It was always love in our home, living in the projects. It was such a great community. Everybody looked out for one another. I can't imagine living in Beverly Hills and having a better, a better childhood, despite, you know, on paper. My, it may not look like the best life on paper, but I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. But I think one of the big things that really impacted me besides books, which my mother introduced me to at a very young age, despite her being very young herself, was growing up and literally watching the conception, the birth, the growth and development of hip hop. I mean, mm. to actually see it born in the Bronx, in front of my eyes, seeing kids who at one point were, were voiceless and then creating their own platform where you couldn't ignore it. You couldn't ignore the plight from Melly Mel. You couldn't ignore the plight from the Treacherous Three. You couldn't ignore it. It was so loud and so boisterous that people heard it from around the world. And to think that young black kids from the Bronx created it from scratch. It was it was a big it was a big moment for me to make me realize that, you know, you can change the world. You 100 percent do it like, you know, and it's people think that, you know, you're too small, but it's always been one person that's changed the world. It's always been a Malcolm X. It's always been a Steve Jobs. It's always been, you know, a Barack Obama. It's always been one person who makes you look at the world differently. And so when I saw, you know, in hip hop where the collective did it even in, in such a grand way, I mean, it was just very powerful for me and it helped me be able to, to not only find my own voice, but be very proud and unapologetic about voicing it. That's solid, that's solid. And, and you know, speaking of hip hop, man, you know, um, I, think that's, I think that's awesome that you were able to like actually experience that. And um, I think that's phenomenal, man. Like that's history right there. You know what I'm saying? Like, and and my, my my question to you, man. Like, you know, as far as you know, some of the artists that you grew up listening to, man. Who who were some of your top artists? You know, that's an interesting question. Um, because I, I, I'm not sure how this happened. Because I grew up in the Bronx. You know, there was you know Curtis Blow and Run DMC and. Uh, the Treacherous Three and the Cold Crush Brothers. I mean, they were just prominent, but it actually kind of wasn't my first love. My first love musically was actually the Rolling Stones and Pink okay. Floyd and, um, and the Doors and the Who. And I'm not exactly sure how that happened. There was nobody that really in my home like introduced it to me, but classic rock was really my first like love as a kid um, growing up or appreciating music, which was interesting because, you know, I would blast Led Zeppelin from my, you know, from my boom box. And, you know, when I go outside, my kids, my friends would be like, yo, what are you listening to? Like, what, what is that? You know, <laughs> and, um, you know, I would have to say, nah, you know, nah, man, this, this group Led Zeppelin, man, and no joke, you know, and then listening to, you know, Curtis Blow and all that other stuff. Um, no one ever clowned me for it. But I know that people looked at me sideways, but I took pride. I took pride in that yeah. I lived in an environment where I kind of didn't cower and listen to what everybody else did. I didn't act or talk like everybody else did. I was I was my own person. And um, and I, I didn't need validation from anyone of saying, yo, you know, the doors are whack or, or the who is whack. I didn't care. I like I loved it. I was loud about it. And um, and I think it kind of um, put me on the path to to. to 
to be able to not just discover my voice, but be proud in the individuality that was inside of it. Yeah. And I, I think that just goes to show, man, like being yourself is, is the way to go. You know what I'm saying? Not, not following what everybody else is doing, not following trends, just being yourself and not being afraid of who you are um, and, and going with that. I 100%. think that's very important. Um, so, yeah, man. Um, so, yeah, man, um, you know, you said you've written a hundred thousand books. How many, what, what's your, like, what's a number for you? How many books would you want to write? You know, like what's a goal of like how many books? No, you I've, I've only wrote, I've only written six books, but I've sold over a hundred. So, so, okay. Yeah. Yeah. My bad. My bad. Sold. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, mean, I, I, I don't I mean, think anyone's capable of writing a hundred thousand books. Yeah. 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 That's, um, that's a lot, man. <laughs> No, no worries. Uh, um, you know, I, I, I don't I don't necessarily need to put a number on it. I mean, you know, it's easy to say I wish I could sell a million books. It's easy to say that. And yeah. I and I know I will one day. I mean, as an indie author, I'm selling 100,000. So like, you know, I, I once things like, you know, once the once the movie comes out or once the, the this thing explodes, I, I, you know, I know that's inevitable. I think what's more important to me than selling a hundred of uh, selling a million books is impacting a million lives. Like, you mm. know, everybody's life here is, you know, is temporary. You know, yeah. the, uh, the listen, all your listeners, I'm going to tell you how your life ends. It does. It ends. And like, I want immortality. And I fact that, that I have these books that will be here long after I'm gone, that will hopefully spark and empower generations. Like that's what matters to me more than the million dollars or like, or, or selling a million books or something I, that I tell kids very often. And I know I talked about kids asking if they wanted to be rich. And I, I actually talk them out of becoming rich because when you focus on being rich, you're actually really just focusing on yourself. Instead, focus on being of value. When you are of value to what it is that you do, when you are the most valuable attorney, the most valuable plumber, the most valuable and sought after doctor, then you're investing in yourself to do better and serve. And that is the best way to become successful. And the key to that, or, you know, the byproduct of that is riches follow you. The most, like, you know, like it was talked about LeBron James, you know, his, but he probably thinks his, his attorney is really valuable, that his trainer is really valuable. And, Definitely. and I guarantee you that they're very successful in what they do, but you can't be of value unless you're willing to invest in yourself unless you're willing to educate yourself, unless you're willing to, you know, work on you to the point where people see you because of your value. Mm. That, that's, that's a solid message, man. Um, and, and my question to you is, man, for those that are listening, um, you know, and, and, and like, let's say they don't even know where to start, you know, how can somebody learn to, you know, invest in themselves and bring value to others? What would you say? Um, I think it all starts with self-awareness. I think it all starts with knowing what you're really great at. I'm a big fan on doubling down on your strengths and, and punting on your weaknesses. I, I think that, we, you know, I'm not good at numbers, which is as, as writing about financial literacy sounds, you know, counter, counterintuitive. But like, I don't like it, but I enjoy writing. So I, when I got started, I found someone to help me do my accounting because I couldn't and didn't like doing it. So passing it on to somebody else who enjoys doing accounting doubles down on their strengths so that I can double down on mine. 
So the first thing I would be, say is to be really self-aware of what you're good at and find a way to take what you're good at and interject it into what it is that you do. I'm really great at marketing and networking and, and speaking. So those are the things that I utilize to be able to get in front of people and to be able to sell my work and sell myself. And so, um, so one is being self-aware. Two is reading. And the power of reading is that you are able in real, like today, like if you wanted to hang up right now, you could have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with the most famous people and successful people of all time. If you wanted to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Oprah Winfrey about how she lived her life and how she became successful, you can pick up a book and do it right now, where she will tell you herself personally how she became successful, or Barack Obama, or Steve Jobs, or Malcolm X, or whomever it is that you want, the greatest leaders of all time. Within the pages of a book, you can have a one-on-one -on -one conversation, and they can teach you how they became successful and how you can apply it to your own life. And that's one of the great powers of books. Like they literally are a one-on-one -on -one conversation between the writer and you. And there's no other form of entertainment that empowers you that way, none. Um, and the other thing is just, man, I can't stress this enough, is just believing in yourself and tuning out the people who don't, who, who don't believe that you can. I think one of the great superpowers that you can have is not giving a damn what anybody thinks about you. And you know, if you believe in your heart and soul that what you're doing is just, then don't worry about what the haters say, about what the bloggers say, about what the critics say. You do you. And the more that you stand up for yourself and believe in what it is that you're doing, you know, and it doesn't mean you can't take constructive criticism. It doesn't mean that you can't take advice inside and perspective. But ultimately, it has to align with what you believe. And you always stick with that. And, and I, I guarantee you that will always serve you well. All right, man. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, that was a solid message, man. I hope you guys were able to uh, definitely get something from that. Um, Ty, you definitely dropped a lot of gems, man. And um, my, my last question to you, man, is, you know, how can people get in contact with you, you know, whether it be through social media or, you know, however? Yeah, you know, um, I used to defer people to my website, which you still can go, which is tyallenjackson.com. But, um, man, I, you know, you discovered me through Instagram and most people have discovered me from Instagram. It's kind of become my home in the past year or so. Like it's the place where I'm the most visible, where I'm the most flamboyant, um, where I really enjoy myself the most. And so I, I love I love Instagram and the platform that it is that it allows me to kind of express who I am, be it fun or silly or serious. So, you know, follow me on Instagram. Feel free to slide in my DMs if you're listening or if you have some advice or perspective uh, that you'd like to share or would love for me to give. Um, so uh, Instagram is probably my main way. But if you look at the buy books, you can get them on my website. Again, tyallenjackson.com or just go to Amazon um, and, and get my books there. But I'm also on every major platform from Twitter to Pinterest to to uh, Facebook and and uh, and even TikTok, which my kids tried to talk me out of, but I did one anyway. <laughs> All right, man. Well, I appreciate you, man, for giving me this opportunity. I appreciate you, brother, for giving me the platform, man. Thank you, my man. No problem. All right, guys. That's the end of the episode. Um, I hope you were able to, uh, like I said, get some get some notes, man. And and I hope you guys were able to just pick up on the gems from Mr. Ty Allen Jackson himself. And uh, that's it, guys. That's the end of this episode, and we're going to get out of here. Peace.
Alright y'all, that's the end of the episode. If you don't mind, do me a little favor and share this with a friend, a family member, neighbor, or a coworker if you got some value from this. Thank you for listening and be sure to tune into the next episode. Peace.